Brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the podcast. So today's guest is Joe Tranquillo. Joe is the associate provost at Bucknell University, where he is also the professor of biomedical and electrical engineering. Geez, Joe, I've got to say, you don't strike me as the typical engineer having met you. I think you said you were a fellow extrovert, but welcome to the quadcast. Thank you so much. This is actually a real pleasure to be here and get a chance to chat with you. That's great. So Joe and I had the pleasure of meeting earlier this summer at a convening in Chicago of a group called the Coalition for Life Transformative Education. This group is focused on policies and practices that contribute to student thriving in college and in life. And there were lots of big thinkers around that table. It was a pleasure to be there. And Joe was certainly one of them. So we quickly followed up with an invitation for the podcast and we're delighted that you're here today. And so we'll get started because I know you've got a lot of interesting things going on at Bucknell. The students are just returning. I hope that is going to be, well, to say it's a seamless transition is probably a, a silly thing to say because I know it always comes with challenges. But how are things going there as you get started on the fall semester? Great. This is our first semester back, I think, as in many schools that we feel this sort of lightening of our situation of not needing to worry about what's going to happen next. And by next, I mean within hours and sometimes minutes. So we can think a little bit longer term. And I'm just meeting some students last night. I think they feel it as well. This is We're going to get into this, I'm sure. But just recognizing that these students who are coming into college right now, they did not have a normal high school experience. Something like 60 to 70% of their high school experience was profoundly different than any other high school experience of previous students. So I, I think you could see that, hear that in their voices, but I think there was also a lot of excitement. Well, that's great. That is so good to hear. We're moving on and moving on differently, I think is, is what I'm hearing too. So you're associate provost for transformative teaching and learning. So you naturally think outside of the box, right? And I know that you do around what we're going to talk about today, which is specifically about some recruitment strategies. But before we do, tell us a little bit more about the interest on your part in some of your colleagues there at Bucknell in the coalition's work on life transformative education. Yeah, I think it it's a it's a really neat group. So you know, if I say CLTE, you'll know what I mean by that. And I and I'm you know I'm going to try not to not to bore you with the the history here, but I think they're part of a really long term trend in higher education of disrupting thinking about reinvention about what the world actually needs and its educated citizen leaders. So this trend goes back like before there was even recorded history. Probably the most recent example, and I know this is going to not sound recent, but it is, was Charles Eliot. So when he was soon to be president of Harvard, so this is back in like the late 1860s, I think, put out an article called The New Education. And it was a call to like really rethink education not to be explicitly the German model of scholarship or the education of clergy, but to be this really much more broad-based education that was sparked by all sorts of things happening around those times, including the Industrial Revolution and all that. The world was changing and he was calling for a change in the education system to meet it. A lot of the things that we have come to know and love, like 
grading our students and credentialing and even the beginnings of tenure and standardized testing and the concepts of getting a specific degree and having a major and all that. A lot of that came about through the sort of thinking and then the thinking that came as a spark to what he did. And so with that as a little bit of a backdrop, I I hope I'm not speaking too grandly on behalf of the CLTE, but I think that they're calling for something similar. So given what we've seen over the last 15, 20, 30 years and sort of the digital and internet and social media revolution, the world and what it means to be a productive and free and flourishing citizen is changing too. And so we in higher ed need to step up and meet that. So again, I, I, I think there's lots of bits and pieces to it. If you want to go check it out, you can go to clte.org. The interest that I've had in it is my position is all about thinking about not just how students might be successful and thrive during their four years that they have with us, but how once they leave, they can really flourish. For that reason, I think the CLTE's philosophy and sort of stance on things really resonated with me. Oh, yeah, I I totally agree. And that's actually a great synopsis. Interesting to compare it to that previous movement, because it may be that seismic in terms of the way we think differently about what higher education does and what it can do for students. So I think let's get right into a good example of this. You had talked about working on recruitment strategies at Bucknell. And so tell us what you're doing there and how you're thinking about this in in a different way. Yeah, I've actually partnered up with our vice president for enrollment management. And to think about how we actually transition students into the university, how we help ourselves see who they actually really are. There's lots of talk right now about transitioning from being from students being college ready to pointing the finger at ourselves and saying, are we actually student ready? And that's a little bit of a shift in mindset. The short answer to your question is sure, there are lots of little initiatives and bits and pieces that I'm working on. But I think a lot of what I get to work on, and this is the fun part, is helping everyone on campus make that that intellectual shift. So I'd say a lot of my work is focused on that. And I know we'll probably dig into some of the bits and pieces of that. But it's really become a part of my job to help every group on campus see themselves as a part of this. And it doesn't matter whether you're in facilities or financial aid or you're a temp or you're in HR or you're a faculty member. I think that that it's it's helping everyone see that they're going to play a role and us being student ready. So when we talk, you had mentioned thinking differently about what it means to the word recruitment at its core, right? So it's right. want it it's encouraging students to want to stay where they are, right? Engaging them in staying on campus. And we need to think about that beyond just maybe incentivizing them with things like whether it's financial or it's right. things like, it, you know, I, I know campus space makes a big difference, but what are some of the fundamental things we might not be thinking about when <laughs> you sort of take this sure. on? I, I want to I be even more blunt about something you just mentioned about, you know, what can we do to keep students on campus? The other word you can use is how can we trap students on campus? That's the more <laughs> cynical sort of negative way to think about it. And I, I bring it up because with that lens, sometimes some of the things that you hear being proposed are really elaborate mechanisms to trap students on campus. I don't think that's anyone's intention, but sometimes some of the proposals look that way. So I I think part of the thinking differently is really thinking about who they are and what will help them have an just extraordinary experience. 
Here's one sort of analogy, sort of rethinking things. So this is, again, a, a philosophical way of thinking about things. And it comes from service blueprinting. So you can go look that up if you want to go look at more about what it is. But they use experiences like the theater or like a restaurant where there's a front end, there's a user experience, things that, that are happening. And if you go into a restaurant, you realize that you have your food and you have an interaction with the waiter or waitress but that there's so much more that's actually happening to make that experience that you're having possible. The dilemma is if what you're sold is you're going to have this absolutely the best meal you've ever had. It's going to be a great environment. It's going to be incredible conversation. Your way is going to be fantastic, but the music is too loud. That ends up becoming the focus of your experience. And it, it, you may have great food and a great waiter and all that, but you now can't focus on the great experience you're having. I think often what happens is that those backstage things, and the same thing happens in the theater if someone drops a prop or something like that in the background, it breaks the experience for a minute. Our students are being promised a lot of times experiences, and it's about their growth and their development and all these high-minded things. But then there are these moments where the background shines through. Something doesn't happen quite the way it's supposed to. And it could be part of the university, or it could be just normal life things that happen or tragic life things that happen. And the dilemma is that when that happens, you, you, this sounds terrible, in a restaurant, the person that actually gets the heat is the frontline person. It's, it's the waiter or waitress. And so I think that happens a lot in the university where things can break down behind the scenes that then shine through for a student and it becomes the focus of their experience rather than the growth and development we're hoping for. Mm. That That's just one example. Um, but again, I think no amount of trapping them with more money or more perks is going to actually prevent the possibility that there's not enough counselors on campus and they're having, they're struggling mentally or that the food is not accessible. Right? So those are all things that they would just expect. And if they have problems, the rest of their experience is going to be is going to be difficult for them to really truly invest in. Right. Sticking with this example, Joe. Mm -hmm. So take us through the philosophy around every person stakeholder on campus thinking about through the student first lens, thinking about being student ready. Sure. I I think there's a couple of pieces and many of them at least in my mind go back to a framework that a group of us put together. And it was based on a whole variety of bits and pieces of data. It was based on interviews with students, so lot, lots of things under the surface. And what we came up with was a four-part framework that's really based on four questions that you can ask any student. That is, are your basic needs being met? And there's a variety of things underneath that, obviously safety, mental health, and physical health, and housing, food. The second question is, do you feel a sense of belonging? And that has two pieces. One is, do you identify with the place? Do you identify with the culture, with the rituals, with the history? And it could even be the mascot and the colors and, and all of that. But then the second part of the belonging is, have you found effectively your people, people that you can be relational with, not transactional, that you're not being performative with? You can really, in a word, kind of be yourself with. The third question is, are you aware of and using the resources that you have available? And the second part of that's important because often we have students who aren't aware of a resource, but more often than not, they're aware of the resource. It's just either not accessible or there is a stigma of some sort that's associated with using that resource to its fullest. The last question is, 
do you feel a sense that you're growing in multiple different dimensions along multiple different sort of vectors? This is beyond just the academic and the career, but includes emotional and your sense of purpose and your sense of identity and a variety of other dimensions that we would hope our students are growing along. So when we present this framework to folks, they immediately go, oh, well, this is just some variation of Maslow's hierarchy. And unfortunately, what I think has happened in higher ed is that we have siloed the, who's responsible for the, those four questions. So we say, well, it's mostly student life, or it's mostly HR, or it's mostly financial aid, or it's mostly student employment. And right, they're going to worry about this piece and faculty or administrative assistants or lab directors or center directors, like you don't need to worry about all that stuff. I think that's changing because more often than not, those are the folks who are having the most contact with students. They're seeing them every day. They're getting to recognize patterns. So I think it's helping everyone on campus recognize that you should be on the lookout for those four questions and asking them of each student. I think it's fascinating. And I also think it's very instructive. And I'm, I'm going to break it down a little bit before, sure. before I ask you to, to, to keep on with it. But so the, the four pieces, the domains that you discussed, which would contribute to student thriving, mm -hmm. would be asked, not just of students, because obviously that's part of it, but asked of those who interact with students at any level that this is what they should be asking students or that this is what they should be thinking about as they do their jobs? Do I have that right? Yes. And, and actually, I think you nailed it of it's not just the folks who are on the front line, right? So this is the equivalent in my analogy before of the waiter, the person who's interacting with the person. It's also for everyone who's behind the scenes. So when someone is making a financial decision or they're making a decision about the design of a building or a new dorm or something like that, that they're actually asking those four questions is how could this contribute to the basic needs of students? Are there things built into this policy or this procedure or this new program that are going to help that? And same thing with belonging, same thing with resources and same thing with growth. And so when you take a particular program or a policy or whatever it happens to be, you may never actually see what it looks like on the ground. But the hope is these questions help you think a little bit more deeply about the implications. Wow, that's that's great. Where I'm hoping to move things, and my university's not quite there yet, but I hear signs that we're moving in this direction, is there's a difference between asking a student, are your basic needs being met? And they may say no to that question. And if they do, their chances of thriving obviously go down. And it's the same thing with all the other domains. If you're a student and you say no to one of those, your chances of thriving probably reduce. But here's a little bit of a flip of that. There's a difference between a student saying no to that question, in which case they look at the university and say, you need to meet my basic needs now. And a slightly different alternative, which is what if we had over the course of four years, a goal that at the end of your time here, you can say, I can meet my basic needs. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can do it right at the beginning, but it becomes a growth opportunity. Our goal is not necessarily to just meet your basic needs while you're here. It's so that you can actually meet your basic needs once you actually leave us and we're not there anymore. So again, you know, you can put in all sorts of religious things of, you know, is it better to better to teach someone to fish or or give them fish, right? This is the it's probably better to teach them to fish, but you can get even more granular with this. And I I I think this is an example that I've been using with some other colleagues is under basic needs, 
you could say safety is one of those. You could very easily think about safety as I can be safe. So that would be the equivalent of what I did before. So it's not the question, am I safe? It's the thing of over the course of four years, I'm going to grow into the statement, I, I, can, I can be safe. I want to go a next step deeper and have the objective be something like, and I have, this is still a work in progress, I can enter a new environment and I can assess the risk to myself and take an appropriate action to mitigate that risk. I don't care if that's studying abroad. I don't care if that's going to a party. I don't care if that's an internship that you're at. I don't care if it's going and meeting a potential mother or father-in-law for the first time. It doesn't matter what it is, but I'm learning the tools and skills that I need to enter any environment and assess the rest of myself and then, and then take the appropriate measures. And, and I think we already on many of our campuses have opportunities to do that. I oversee our global ed and study abroad. And I think that's a great place where students are entering a new environment. And imagine if one of the things that we challenged them to do and gave them some tools to grow into was exactly that statement. You're in a new environment, practice assessing the risk to yourself and then taking appropriate steps and actions along with it. So you, you can imagine a series of these sorts of statements that you're challenging students to take on as part of what they're going to do. Now, the catch is that they're not on their own. They're not alone. Just like in a classroom where we're not expecting that they can automatically be able to do differentiation or take Fourier transforms or, you know, I'm an engineer, right? So those are things I think about. We're not expecting that you can do that walking in the door. We're expecting that you're going to grow into it. And we're here to help you with that. So, Joe, what's interesting about what you're saying is the engagement of the student themselves, right? So this isn't just about we all have to do this in order to have a student thrive. The student has to be an active participant in his own thriving journey, right? Obviously. So I think that's really interesting what you're saying. And also it gets to this idea about expectations. So student is going to be disappointed if they're told that their experience is going to be this. So you need to have sort of both sides of this equation coming together in order for those expectations to be appropriate and met, correct? That's exactly right. And I think it, it, this is a middle ground between two opposing poles, I would say, of bringing students into the university. On one side of that pole is come here. It is the best thing ever. You're all going to have this amazing experience. Let's show you the sparkles and rainbows version of everything that you're going to get to do here. The opposite pole of that is the extraordinarily realistic pole of you're going to struggle. We're going to push you. You're going to have things happen during your four years that are going to probably be out of your control and you're just going to need to suck it up and deal. And sorry, you're on your own. Again, that's the really harsh view. And I think what we're aiming for is something in the middle that acknowledges that there are going to be bumps along the way, that this is not going to be easy, that they're going to have to play an active role, but simultaneously that we're here for you. We're, we're, we're here and we're watching out for you and we're going to help you. But ultimately, it's your experience and it's your experience to make. And so I think that was where I arrived at the helping students become more active participants. It also plays into, and I excuse getting philosophical here a little bit, getting back to some degree to what much of higher education was going for in the first place. If you go back to sort of the, you know, the kind of almost liberal arts tradition, you know, the, the liberal arts word itself often causes problems because folks think about it from a political perspective, but it really is about how do you free a citizen to actually be their own 
truly independent entity that can go out into the world and make a difference. And the skill set that you needed to do that has changed over time. And it's why there used to be teaching Greek and Latin, and we don't really require that anymore. Um, and same thing with physical education. We, many schools don't require that anymore either. But at the time, those were required things to be a free citizen. I, I think what CLTE and some others are arguing, although I'm maybe overplaying the argument here a little bit, is that there's a different set of things that are required to be a free citizen or truly free citizen in, in a society and then go out into that society and, and, and make a difference. And so I, I think those those same questions can help be a little bit of a guide in that. To your point, they can't just be things that happen during the four years or six years or however long they're actually going to be at your university. The goal is that they can go out into the world and, and they can actually use it. They can live it every day. Right. These are big, big questions at a really important time, sort of getting back to your original thought about why it is that you are so, and you and your colleagues there at Bucknell were so attracted to the CLTE and what might be ahead of us in terms of a new era in higher ed. And it's a bit of an irony, right? Because it feels like the value of a quote unquote liberal education is more important than it ever was, just as public opinion is showing that there is sort of less confidence in it. So right. we're at a really difficult time in higher ed because, again, if you value it and you value the kind of transformative learning that we're talking about here today, then we're going to have to make some changes. Absolutely right. Most of what we've talked about so far has been kind of up in the clouds, high level types of things. But the, the real goal is to then inspire others to take a good look at the programs that they already have and ask these questions, right? In what ways are they student ready? And again, I'm not proposing that the four questions that we put are the magical four questions. I think, you know, every university would probably want to come up with some sort of a framework that can guide their work. But I think it's really important for uniting a campus around the idea of becoming student ready is to have kind of some core basis from which you're working. And again, that can be used to interrogate the current programs you have, iterate on them, make them better, but also look for the gaps, look for the places where you're falling short. And I'll just give one example of this. And again, this is just from Bucknell's perspective. We promise students all these wonderful things when they come in the door. You're going to get to study abroad. You're going to, you could possibly do research. Here's this amazing student who got to present a paper at a conference, right? We hold up all the in spotlight, these wonderful, amazing experiences. We then focus a fair amount on scripting the first year experience for the students so that they have a trajectory in that first year while they're just getting used to the place. The catch is that often, and this is through talking to students, sometime in that second semester, first year, they begin looking forward to what do I have to look forward to next year? What are the things that are going to really light me up that I maybe didn't have access to this year or, or maybe just didn't even try out? So in other words, what's going to be different about sophomore year than about the first year that I spent here? That's also right around the time that many of our students are deciding whether or not they want to stay or not. So again, this gets into retention and all of that. The dilemma I think many of them run into is, so what is going to be different about sophomore year? And when they start investigating a little, they realize, well, you know, I'm not going to get my dream internship during the summer because I've only had one year of college under my belt, right? I'm not going to get this amazing internship. And oh, well, I've tried to reach out to a couple of faculty and they're interested in bringing me into their lab, but 
they're not going to have me doing any high-end research. So that conference presentation is a long way off. And same thing with a lot of things like study abroad. They all of a sudden appear farther out. So the question is, you know, what do you have to look forward to sophomore year? And there are places I know Ohio State has a STEP program, which is focused on the sophomore experience. And there are a number of other places, and we're looking at those as, as well. We have things like affinity houses that are alternatives to, to Greek life. And frankly, at Bucknell, one of the few things that we have for students to look forward to their sophomore years, they can begin participating in Greek life. So that, that presents a dilemma on our campus. I'm not sure about others, but beginning to think about what sorts of things we could do in the sophomore year. And so one, one idea I've had is what if we did something like the Richmond Guarantee Program where students actually have a little bit of money to do something really cool that they get to script themselves. So what if instead of the way Richmond does it, we actually have it specifically for the sophomore year? Another possibility, and this is again, just a brainstorm and puts the, the onus on the students is, so you're living on a hall with a group of other folks. If you come up with a hall theme, you can propose. So a theme kind of something that you all agree you'd like to explore. You actually get a little bit of money and funding to have almost a little bit of a learning community on your hall, again, guided by you, but lightly sort of with, with sort of some light uh, attention, but then maybe your hall gets a little bit of money to travel somewhere relatively local. So again, these are all hooks to get students taking charge of their own education, as opposed to the faculty and staff are going to swoop in and we're going to create a fantastic experience for right. you in New York City around going to see backstage at a Broadway show. That's great. We should continue to do that, but that's not teaching students how to actually do that for themselves. Right. Oh, terrific. So we have gotten such great advice from you, Joe, both philosophical and practical, I would say. So I really hope people are listening to this episode because it was really instructive and so eye-opening. Joe Tranquillo, who is the Associate Provost at Bucknell, I am so glad you came on the podcast and you got to come back. Thank you so much. Anytime. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting. And again, I feel like we just scratched the surface. I agree. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been The Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.